If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, we're going to start out in John chapter 3, then kind of move a little bit around the scriptures this morning. And just as a quick note, I couldn't find the lapel mic this morning from last week's speaker, so if you're listening to the podcast and the sound is going in and out, that's why, because I'm using the podium mic, and since I move around a lot, the sound may fade in and out a little bit. Not that you'll notice here in the room, but there are a lot of people who listen by... Um, by it to the podcast, so just kind of putting that out there. So in week four of our From the Ashes series, and we're going to talk about confession and the power of confession this morning. Now, I grew up in a different environment than most kids today, maybe an environment that most people here are used to, but living in a city, it was very different. And I would stay often just about all summer with my grandparents in Hayward and they lived in a small farm on the edge of town and so we were allowed to hunt and fish on the property if we wanted to and my grandpa was a a firearms collector he had dozens and dozens of guns all loaded all spread throughout the house Um, he even had um, like an umbrella rack in the living room with rifles in it and so I grew up just around firearms and most people would be shocked today. They'd be like, oh my gosh, you grew up around that many loaded guns and, 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 and you didn't die? Well, yeah, because I was told, don't touch the firearms. And I obeyed the rule, don't touch the firearms. And after about 10 or 11, I was allowed to grab my 22 rifle whenever I wanted, go outside and plink at the varmints that would get into my grandpa's garden or, or into his flower beds. I had full permission to do that. I knew how to use it safely, and and uh, he actually encouraged it to uh, get all those rabbits and everything that kept eating his, uh, his garden crops. But before I had that blanket permission, when I was probably about eight years old, I was spending the summer with them, and my grandpa had a job. He worked for part-time for a surveyor, and um, full time for the fire or the uh, forest service. So my grandpa or grandma worked in town, so I was left alone a lot. And again, probably about eight or nine years old. And I did my usual start of the day. I'd wake up. My grandpa would go to survey something with Bob, and I went to play outside. And I played outside. I did some chores that I was assigned, and then I went for a walk in the woods. Um, Hayward had this really kind of cool area at that time called Old Hayward. It was the old logging camp that was still, it was all the buildings were still up, but they're all abandoned and falling apart and everything. Well, that's that to an eight, nine-year-old boy is just heaven. You can go explore the buildings and, and have stuff collapse around you as you're walking through it and, and find all kinds of cool stuff in there. And so I went and, I went and uh, took that hike through the woods. It was about a half mile, three quarters of a mile walk from my grandparents' house and spent some time there. And then I came home. And I came home, made myself a sandwich, and I heard a, a thump coming from the living room. And I walked in there, and my grandparents had this little black poodle called Mishika. I have no idea how they came up with that name, but it was called Mish- she was called Mishika. And she had knocked over the umbrella stand, and my 22 rifle had fallen to the floor. It was a bolt-action rifle, and the bolt kind of cocked half open. And I said, well, that's not good. And so I picked up the rifle, and I brought it into the kitchen so I could brace it on the chair a little bit. I was a little short guy. And just, you know, work the action. 
and made sure that the bolt was back down while well, you worked the action, another round comes in, one ejects, and I couldn't find that bolt where the bullet went. And so I just took it and I went and I put it back and um, just kind of went upon my day. Well, then my grandpa came home and he went to grab a soda from the refrigerator and I saw him open the door and look down and he bent over and he picked something up. And he said, hey, uh, Johnny, were you messing with your rifle while I was gone? And so I'm, I'm just sitting there, oh boy, I'm trapped. What am I going to do now? Oh, you know, should I just tell him? And, and, and I didn't make the correct decision there. And I said, nope, didn't mess with my rifle at all, Grandpa. Well, he turned around and held the shell up, and he goes, can you explain this then? Because I know I didn't leave it there. And your, grandpa, your grandma doesn't touch the guns. And so I was caught, just kind of looked down. And my grandpa came up to me. I remember he just cupped the back of my head and made me look at him. And I was surprised because he had kind of tears in his eyes. And he said, I didn't raise you to be a liar. You broke my heart because you didn't trust me with the truth. I learned a valuable lesson that day. It's a lesson I continue to learn, sometimes fail at, and then learn again throughout my entire life. And the lesson is this. Confession, when you mess up, is better than living in a lie that puts you into darkness. Today we're going to explore this idea of confession. Why we are so afraid of using this vital tool that God has given us for freedom. And the power that it has when we humble ourselves and we allow our confession to cleanse us and set us free from the snare that the enemy has for us. Let's start off with prayer. Father God, we just come to you, Lord. We ask, Father, that you search us and know us. We ask, Lord, that you break long-standing chains in our own hearts, chains of pride, chains of, of embarrassment, chains of, of that want to bind us and keep us in darkness and in the realm of the enemy, which is the kingdom of lies. And we ask, Father, that you break all that off of us this morning as we learn the power of confession. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Confession is the first step to repentance. It's the process of recognition of sin, of doing things that are against God's will, against God's character, and against God's best for us in life. And having a regular practice of allowing the Holy Spirit to search us and know us, to, to bring light into that darkness. If we allow God to do that, it, it will cultivate a life full of grace and mercy. It will allow us to, to rise from the ashes of past sin that have tried to destroy us and raise us up into the newness of life. But you know, it's hard to admit when we're wrong. It's hard to admit when we have failed. Confessing and coming clean when we're at fault, it's not an easy task. I'm sure many of you today probably have a similar story to the one I just shared. Probably all have numerous stories that sound very familiar. Thankfully, 
the stories end differently when God gets involved. With God, we are promised forgiveness when we confess our sins and come clean. When we bring ourselves voluntarily into his light, we are able to live free, completely unburdened and unhindered by the sin that has so easily entangled us and put those chains upon our hearts. And when God breaks that off, we're free to run the race that he has set before us. That's why confession is the fourth topic of our six weeks together in our journey toward abundant life, coming up from the ashes of what the devil has tried to destroy in our life. Obviously, Jesus led a sinless life, so we won't see any specific examples from his life that included sin. However, because of Jesus' sinless life, and humble sacrifice, we can experience the unrestrained forgiveness of, a, of the Father over our sin. As I said in week one, you're not broken beyond repair. Don't accept the devil's lie that God can't possibly love you because of this. Christ died for that. And he wants to extend his forgiveness to you. Jesus is the reason that we can expect, confess and experience the complete forgiveness of God in our lives. However, there are two things that keep us from confession. And they're listed in John chapter 3 when Jesus gives us both the solution to the problem of sin that entangles our hearts and our souls and the reason that we resist the solution. Let's deal with the resisting to confessing our sins first. In John chapter 3, verse 19, if you remember John 3, 16, just came before that. For God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That has come, but then Jesus goes and gives the problem. He gives the solution in John 3, 16 and 17. Now he's giving us the problem. And Jesus said, this is the verdict. That word verdict means truth. He is saying this is the absolute truth about the human condition. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly what he has done and has been done through God. Now the first thing we see here in verse 19 is the first problem, that men or women or people love their sin more than they love God and his word. And this is probably the number one condition that most people struggle and suffer from. They love their sin more than they love God. It might be an addiction. It might be a sinful relationship that's caused a, a soul tide. It might be a sexual sin that is exploding in our time today. Even people, you see it on TV, but I can tell you dozens of people I know that are in that kind of sin right now, even within marriage. Whatever it is, People want to do that instead of trusting God and his moral law concerning that behavior. In other words, 
They are echoing Satan's words to Adam and Eve by saying, did God really say? Did God really say that sin? And then he follows it up with, yeah, God God didn't really say that, or maybe he did say that, and he said that because he just doesn't want you to experience fun in your life. He doesn't want you to experience this, this thing over here because he knows that if you go into that, you won't love him anymore. So he's just going to hold out on you. Now, I don't want to give the enemy all the credit. He deserves some of it, but I don't want to give him all the credit for this because the Bible is very plain. We sin when our hearts desire something. I've said it many times in the last few months, that what the heart wants, the will will choose, and the mind will justify. Or as the Bible says in, the, in James, that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully growth, grown, gives birth to death. And what that means is we all have a fallen nature that we contend with. Even those who have come to Christ still have that that sinful nature that lives and wars within us. And once in a while, that sinful nature puts something before our eyes that that it knows will trip us up. And it, it makes us want to run to that instead of run to God. You know, the devil has a file with your name on it. It has every single weakness that you have. And he's going to use that information to make sure that your weakness is exploited. And it causes you as much spiritual damage as possible. And one of the most pernicious tricks that he uses is to dangle that sin in front of your eyes like you're a fish with a worm on a hook. And when you open your mouth maybe to take a nibble, he jerks that line and sets the hook. And, he's, and you're his at that point. However, that's the power of confession. Confession destroys that hook and it sets you free. But the second part of what Jesus was telling us about sin also keeps us bound to sin. In John 3.20, second part of that verse It says that he will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And that's pride. Confession can destroy that hook, but pride is going to cause it to dig in deeper. How many people have we known were destroyed because they were too prideful to confess when they needed help? I'm going to touch just a little bit of a sensitive area here. But, and it's not my intention to offend, but I just have to say it. Because in the church universal, I'm not talking about this church, but just in general Christianity, in my almost 30 years of following Christ, I've seen this. That we in the church, which is supposed to be an organization built on the grace of God, shown to us through Jesus Christ, can sometimes be the worst people when it comes to extending grace to those of us who may fall. That's why many people today, when I talk to them, prefer the hook and prefer to remain on the devil's line than allow their sin to become public and be dragged into the light. 
And a lot of that's pride. I know it's pride. I know it's sin. I know it's the because they love that sin. They, they refuse to, to give up that sin. I, I know it. No one wants to admit when they've messed up. No one wants to admit that, that they, are, they are bound to this thing and that this thing is ruling over them. And the greater the sin, the more effort it takes to cover it up and it becomes such an addiction that they don't know that they're on the hook. But a lot of it is because they don't trust the church to be able to deal with them gently and to walk them through a restoration process. you got to remember the Bible says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We have sinned and we probably will sin again. We all will fall short of God's moral perfection. And even after we come to Christ, we're going to sin. And if this is to be expected, if we believe God's word, why are we surprised when it happens? And that's why confession is not only important to us as individuals, it's important to us as a church family. It breaks the devil's chain. It breaks his hold on us and dissolves that hook. And it renders his tactics and his file that he has on you absolutely useless. And most importantly... Confession opens up the forgiveness of God. It's the first step in, in repentance is that confession. This divine forgiveness is truly amazing grace. And it is such a different response to wrongdoing than many of us grew up with. And this truth is, showing us, is shown us in the Bible through a parable that Jesus taught. We're going to go over to Luke chapter 15 and go through a very familiar story for many of us of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son story starts where most of our stories begin. And that story begins with this unfortunate truth. Most of us think that we know how to run our life better than God knows how to run our life. So often we take in all he has given us and we waste it on living however we want. And then when that doesn't work, we double down on our bad decisions and hurt ourselves and others in the process. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus is speaking a parable here, or telling a story with a spiritual meaning. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together everything he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now the word here in the Greek used for wild living is only used once in the New Testament. And it describes a, an extraordinarily or extravagantly wasteful lifestyle. Think of a, of a kid coming, up, coming from the block or, or coming from poverty, and all of a sudden now he's an NFL star getting millions and millions of dollars. He has an entourage, he has cars, he has mansions, he has all these kind of things. That's, that's the picture that's being described right here. And it may seem like the right thing to do for a time. After all, you have all this money now, and you can spend it however you want. Think about the person who just won a billion dollars in the lottery in Illinois. 
how their life is going to change. Unfortunately, <laughs> something like 99% of the time it ruins their life. But that is what this, this son is about to find out. Because eventually that money runs out. The parties come to an end. And then reality kicks back in. And it's at this point we realize that we squandered everything that was given to us. And that son here is representative of you and me. This son has bitten the lure that Satan put before him. This son has accepted the pain of the hook that is now caught in his jaw and kept this sin in the darkness so it wouldn't be too painful for him. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Nor is it the end of our story. Because as you continue to read in Luke 15, it says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. See, the son here came to the point where he realized he was no longer even worthy to be called his father's son because of what he did to his father. There needs to be a time in each of our lives where we simply come to our senses and realize that our life will never be what it is meant to be apart from our Father God. It's my prayer that none of us here will have to lose everything or to become shattered or have your, your dreams reduced to a pile of ashes to learn this lesson. But if that is happening or does happen, the good news is we're able to make that decision to come home at any time and feel the wide open arms of God wrap us up and bring us back into the family. Some of us simply need to get to that point, to come to the end of our worth and realize that in Christ alone, we are found worthy before the Father. It's all about Jesus. Our righteousness, our, our works for God are filthy rags compared to the glory of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's all because of Jesus. It's not based on anything we can and cannot do, but based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. As the younger son reaches his end, look at the confession he was practicing. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He recognizes that the depravity of his life 
has separated him from his father. And he understands his sin will not only touches his earthly father, but his heavenly father as well. He has sinned against them both. And that's when he starts to become alive again. Picking up the story. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it upon him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals upon his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. This is one of the most beautiful scenes of compassion in the entire Bible and shows the power of confession in our life. If you close your eyes and just think about what I just read here, you can almost hear the son muffled apology. I say muffled because his father had him in his arms, holding him so tight. It showed the younger man's humility his confession and his willingness to return home after having lost everything his father had given him. But there at rock bottom, what mattered the most became clear to him. All these things that he blew his money on, the abundance of food, the partying, the, 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 the high life he was looking for, was already available in his father's house. So I ask a question as we get prepared to close here. How many of you, or how many of us, need to humble ourselves this morning and confess something to God and return to the Father? So what's keeping you from a closer relationship with God today? Is it anger? Is it unforgiveness? Is it an offense that somebody has done to you? Maybe an unmet expectation? Past hurt? Sexual sin? Or other sins of the flesh? Whatever it may be, God will heal you of that today. If you simply confess. We sang a song earlier called the Holy of Holies. And what it does is it paints a picture of Old Testament worship. Where a person would come into the tabernacle courts. And they would be immediately met by the brazen altar. Where they would bring their sacrifice before God. As payment of their sins. And they would confess their sins to the priest who was standing there. And that sin would be transferred upon the animal. And the animal would be slaughtered as payment for that sin. It all begins with confession. They would go from there to the, to the laver and, and wash themselves. And they would go to them further into the tabernacle to worship. 
and get close as they could to God in the Holy of Holies. Confession is the key to get close to God. It begins with confession. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So all of you who may feel separated from God or feel that God is at a distance right now, I encourage you, come home. For too long, people have looked at the church as a mausoleum or a a museum where the past is celebrated. But that's not the function of the church. The function of the church is to be a hospital that treats the sin sick. That shows mercy and compassion to those who got caught up in the devil's snares. And helps them on on the road to restoration before God. So let's all rise. Lord Jesus, I'm just going to take a moment this morning and ask that you search us and expose us, Lord. That your light shines into the darkness of caves and doors and and walls we've built up in our hearts that we say you can't access. Lord Jesus, kick them open. Let your light shine into us again. Let that thing be exposed so that the devil's hook can be dissolved by the power of your resurrection. Let it be dissolved by the blood that was shed on the cross. Let it be dissolved by the power of the Holy Spirit entering into that room and cleansing it once and for all. Hallelujah. I'm just going to take a moment and let God do that.